Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. I believe we are live. Let me know in the comment section if you can hear me. I think I'm coming through, but I am not 100% sure. So just let me know. Uh, lots to talk about today. I've been gone. I've been traveling for the last two weeks. And two weeks ago, I was all over the South. I was uh, filming for the documentary that should come out in probably, I want to say June. That's what we're shooting for, at least, the uh, 1607 project. And then last week, I took a vacation with my wife. I actually did something that uh, I, I don't know, I'm happy about. Obviously, vacation's a happy time, isn't it? And I did something that uh, I've just never done before. So we went to Mexico. And um, I was comparing prices. We haven't been on vacation for, uh, it's been about a year and a half at least, I would say. It was 2021 when we took our last actual vacation. We've gone on trips, but I've been working or doing something. And uh, we, and I've shared this before on the podcast, but um, my wife and I, we really do covet your prayers as far as uh, some fertility issues we have. And we have a major appointment this week that will determine what direction we go in. And before that happened, my wife said, could we just take a vacation? So I was comparing prices. It wasn't that much more for me to go to Cancun than it was for me to go to Florida. Can you believe that? Because <laughs> of the exchange rate, I guess, and a number of other factors. But I decided, yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to go there and see the pyramids. So I got to drive in Mexico. That's always interesting. And I uh, had a great time. And um, maybe I'll share more about that later in the podcast if people want to hear about it. But I don't want to belabor uh, the point. I don't want uh, those who are here to listen to the political end of things to get um, uh, to, to wonder when I'm going to, when, when are you going to talk about that, John? And so um, if there is extra time, maybe I'll share a little bit of, of my observations from Mexico at the end here. Uh, but we'll jump in. Let me say one thing uh, before I jump into all the political stuff. I just want to make a little announcement here if I can. So this is happening for those watching on YouTube or Facebook Live. You can see this is an event. Uh, there's two places you can sign up. One is on Facebook and the links I've provided in the chat section. Uh, I will, if I haven't yet, I'll put them also in the info section. Um, so you can sign up on Facebook or you can sign up. There's a general sign up link. But uh, here's what it is. It's the Masculine Christianity Game Dinner. That's right. And we're holding this at my church, Grace Bible Church in Wappingers Falls, New York. Pastor Zach Garris will be presenting on and taking questions about his book, Masculine Christianity, at Grace Bible Church's fishing game dinner. I say fish because I'm hoping to catch a bunch of fish. <laughs> we'll see if I get to that, if I'm able to do that. Uh, but uh, there will at least be game. There'll be venison there. And, uh, and there'll be more than that. If you don't like game, then uh, you know there's, there's other things. But uh, the topics addressed include what it means to be a man. God's will for men, how to treat women, and why being masculine is necessary. The dinner is free. Uh, donations to help cover costs are accepted. And fathers are encouraged to bring their sons. That's 12 and up. So if you have a son that's 12 or older or your son's friends, uh, come on out. I don't know to, to what extent this applies to people in this audience because I know there's a few of you that are close enough you can come. But I know a lot of you wish you could come and you can't because Wappingers Falls, New York is quite a ways from where you live. But uh, that is okay. That is okay. We will. Uh, I I would love to host more of these uh, events across the country if it's possible. We'll see what happens. But anyway, uh, let's uh, let's get started here. I'll take some of the questions. I know there's some questions already coming through, but I want to get started first, if I may, 
on the topic. So we're going to start with TGC, the Gospel Coalition. This happened while I was on vacation last week, and I thought it was significant enough to talk about on the podcast because it illustrates something. It illustrates TGC, the Gospel Coalition, and what kind of pressure they bend to. Because they do bend to pressure. It's just not pressure from conservatives. It's not it's not orthodox believers in the pews that are able to pressure TGC. It's it's the left. And that's what I want to focus on, because that's what I think is significant about this story more than anything else. Uh, and, and not the one I'm showing you, by the way. This is just what I want to give you to set this whole thing up. So this story, many of you will recognize from 2020 called Why I Hate August by Edward Copeland, K. Edward Copeland, uh, has a section in it where um, he slanders Kyle Rittenhouse, compares him to basically calls him a mass shooter. And and they've edited it since then. Let me see if I can pull up the exact. Uh, here it is. Armed shooters, Kyle Rittenhouse and Dylan Roof, etc., are apprehended without incident and an arm, unarmed black people are killed out of fear that they might be armed. So it's tr he's trying to say that Kyle Rittenhouse is in the same category as Dylan Roof. Now, before, I think it said mass shooter, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And they updated it. Now, when did they update it? This is kind of key. 11-24-2021. Now, their update did not fix the issue here, but they did update it. And uh, this is what they said. Subsequent information has revealed, uh, among other things, that an, an earlier version of this article referred to Kyle Rittenhouse as a mass shooter. And that this was uh, this was wrong. So that he's not a mass shooter. He's just a, he's a shooter, just like Dylan Roof. Uh, and you will notice that the original date is August 29th, 2020. So it took them how long? Well, over a year. It took them over a year, 11, 24, 21, to correct the issue here. So uh, they bent. And this was pressure from the right. I think the Daily Wire did an article on this, if I'm not mistaken. And this is the only time that I've ever seen that with the Gospel Coalition. Now, what about this? This is another article uh, by Patrick Miller, How to Gain an Audience and Lose Your Soul. I'm not going to read the whole article for you, but there was another article posted about this entitled, and this was at Patheos, How to Gain a TGC Audience and Lose Your Soul. Now, what was this about? Well, this was about uh, Josh Dawes. Josh Dawes, a, a podcaster, uh, as I understand it, on the right more. And um, this article called How to Gain an Audience and Lose Your Soul by Patrick Miller doesn't mention Josh Dawes, but it's obviously about Josh Dawes. And, and so going after this guy in unfair ways and they were called out for it and you know the article's still there the article's still there you can go check that out if you want those aren't the point those are just two illustrations i wanted to bring up to you to get to the point here's the point gospel coalition put out an article on march 1st by josh butler and this article wasn't just put out by the gospel coalition it was in conjunction with the keller center the Tim Keller Center, the new Tim Keller Center that's under the umbrella of the Gospel Coalition. And the name of the article is Sex Won't Save You, but it points to the one who will. Now, you notice this article is archived. This isn't up at the TGC website anymore. I'll show you what is up in its place in a moment. I want to go through this, though, first, if we may. Sex Won't Save You, but it points to the one who will by Josh Butler. Now, there are some true things in this. I would say it is written on, unfortunately, a, a maybe a seventh or eighth grade level. It is um, 
which which is not bad. It just shows where the target audience is. Uh, there's some odd things in the article, I would say, but the situation or the section in question is this last section. So we're going to just read the end of this. Sexual union pictures the gospel. The Hebrew language is onto something. There's a distinction between the male and female roles in sexual union. Each brings something unique to the fusing of two bodies as one. And this distinction is iconic. On that honeymoon in Cabo, the groom goes into his bride. And by the way, I should just say, if you have kids listening to this right now, uh, you might want to, yeah, <laughs> just consider where this is going. He is not only with his beloved, but within his beloved. He enters the sanctuary of his spouse, where he pours out his deepest presence and bestows an offering, a gift, a sign of his pilgrimage that has the potential to grow within her into new life. Uh, a little weird, I'd say, a little odd, but uh, okay. Um, this is a picture of the gospel. Okay, it's a picture of the gospel. Christ arrives in salvation to be not only with his church, but within his church. Now, this is where we have, we're starting to get into some hermeneutical dicey territory because you take an uh, illustration from scripture and Tim Keller, this is one of the points I wanted to make is Tim Keller does this with other, with, with Jesus's parables. Uh, he'll read into things. And in, for instance, the parable, parable of the prodigal son, which we went over in the episode I did on Tim Keller's hermeneutic. And he'll find things that aren't there. He'll find things in uh, the story of the rich man and Lazarus that aren't there in the text. And I would say that's kind of what Joshua Butler is doing here, that the um, that, that he, he is looking at something that is true in Scripture, that this union of uh, a marriage and, um, and and I would say encompassing also the physical union that comes with that is a picture of something. But it, there's a mystical element to this that we, we just don't. We, we don't understand. We don't have uh, more revelation on in Scripture. And so uh, we can only go so far as Scripture lets us. But Josh Butler, Joshua Butler wants to go a little farther, and he wants to attribute specific, uh, how do I say this, uh, situations, specific actions within that physical union that illustrate different spiritual realities. And I would suggest to you he doesn't have the justification for this. Well, I'll just keep reading because it gets kind of cringy. Christ gives himself to his beloved with extravagant generosity, showering his love upon us and imparting his very presence with us. Christ penetrates his church with the generative seed of his word. So now we're making parallels. We're saying the seed of, of a man, the, the sperm, is, the parallel is that's the word. And that and Christ, pen, I mean, this is very innovative. It's an innovative approach. This isn't an exegetic or a... Uh, yeah, this is not, not in an, an exegetical approach. This is an exegetical approach to the passage. So he uh, penetrates his church with the generative seed of the, his word and the life-giving presence of his spirit, which takes root within her and grows to bring new life into the world. Now, I'm going to stop right there for a moment. Now, think to yourself with me for a moment. What do you think of that? What do you think of what I just read? I mean, does it cause you some pause? Does it uh, concern you? Uh, what kinds of concerns do you have because of it. The concern that I've articulated to you is, I think this is a, a misreading, or a, at least it's an innovative reading that we don't have justification for because the passage doesn't give us that information. That's why. To say that that's what's going on, to for, for such an important truth as this, to start 
very dogmatically uh, giving information about it that scripture doesn't give us, I think is a dangerous thing. Because where's the authority in that? Is it in the word of God or is it in our own imagination? And I would suggest to you it's in Joshua Butler's imagination. That's an authority shift and that's dangerous. And hopefully all the Orthodox believers out there, that's what they're seeing with this, that that's the problem. Now, there's a cringy element to this, I understand. And there's kind of an icky element to it that you're, uh, I, I suppose there's a a barrier that we have or, or just a, a level of decency that we um, that we have that makes us not, that, that offends us almost about this. And I, and I, I sense that. That's not the main thing or, or really the thing I want to even focus on at all, though. I want to focus on the way he's reading scripture here. That's the main thing to me. It's an authority issue. We could talk about the other aspect of this. But I just uh, I, th I think that's the bigger deal. Now, here's what happened, though, with this. You, you, so, so they took the article down and you would hope that they took it down for the reason that I just articulated. Right. Uh, and that was poorly thought out. How did that even make it through the vetting process? Right. How, how did it do that? That's what I want to know. Well, that's that's what happened, but that's not what took it down. And it didn't take over a year to make an edit or something like that. No, the whole whole article came down. And I'll just read this to you. Josh Butler says on this article before it came down is a fellow at the newly launched Keller Center for Cultural Apologetics and will be leading a seven week online cohort on the beauty of the Christian sexual ethic. This is literally the guy that they got to talk about this issue of Christian sexuality. He's the one. It's not like they had him doing something totally different, and this just happened to be an article they ran with his. No, this, this is like the very purpose that he is at the Keller Center. And you can't tell me this wasn't vetted by Tim Keller. The, the, the choice of him to be uh, one of the, the people who represents, I mean... It, in a sense, the Keller's name's on it. I mean, you're representing Keller's theology to some extent and, and wanting to get Keller's approach into uh, new places to further his reach. Josh Butler was picked on the issue of sexuality. They published this. It went through a vetting process, right? And in less than a day, I think, it, it was like 24 hours. Article's gone. Now, it's an excerpt apparently from this book, Beautiful Union, How God's Vision for Sex Points Us to, to the Good, Unlocks the True, and Sort of Explains Everything. Now, that sort of clues you into the style of writing, even in the title. It's very loose. I, I don't know how this guy, and, and look, I don't know, I haven't looked into his pedigree here, but I, I don't understand how he became the guy, the go-to man on sexuality. And Christian theology related to that. But here's the book on Amazon. It's not out yet. I was going to try to read the whole thing, uh, but it's not out yet. So I don't have to read the 288 pages. And I hopefully never will have to <laughs> after just reading that excerpt. It's, it doesn't seem like it's worth it to me. Um, but it, it has been endorsed by a number of people. In fact, I was thinking I would see the endorsements here. Some of them might have already been pulled, though, and I don't see them. Let's look at some of the endorsements that have been pulled in a moment. Uh, here's what happened, though. Baptist News Global, very progressive outlet. I mean, it's it's out there. They're not orthodox. I, I mean, I've gone through articles from Baptist News Global. I don't know how many times, mostly ones from Mark Wingfield, but they're terrible. They're I'm like thinking... 
why not just join the PCUSA or something? It's, it's that level of uh, progressive thinking there. Well, they put out an article by Mallory Chalice on March 3rd. Now, this is two days after the article drops on TGC's website, Baptist News Global now. And they're not the only ones, but they're, I think, one of the main ones comes out with an article, how viewing sex as an icon leads to the pornification of Christian women in the church as Christ's bride. So you can imagine what their objection is to this. I'll read you a little bit. In a recent article published by the Gospel Coalition, Joshua Butler describes sex as an icon of salvation. Butler compares the sexual union of a husband and wife to the union of Christ in the church. Um, let's see where it gets into a critique. Uh, it says, Butler's metaphor depends upon the binary view that during sex, men are always active and never can be passive, while women are always passive and never can be active. In this view, men always should initiate and play the dominant role in sex, and women always should be welcoming of their partner's sexual advances, avoiding acts that would require dominance, such as initiating sex or rejecting a husband's sexual advances. For Butler, men's sexual roles should be viewed as representative of the power of Christ to enter and control the church. Um, <laughs> With what this analogy fails to consider is that human sexual relationships do not function in this strategic binary way in which only one participant has power and the other gracefully submits. So let me stop there. That's the issue. We can read the rest of this article, but there's no point. That's the issue. They're not taking issue with the fact, the, uh, the issue that I just brought up. They're taking issue with, well, this is sexist. This is... Uh, glorifying the power of men it's not viewing the sexual act as an as an egalitarian would it's uh looking at the um the instruments used in that and the way in which they're used and it's making observations some of them to be honest with you quite common sense but you're not allowed to say those things anymore that that is what i believe got this article canceled because we've seen before what pressure from conservatives does. Hardly anything, if anything at all. But when it's from progressives, less than 24 hours. It was, it was less than a day. Articles down, something like that. Maybe, maybe it was more than that. Maybe it was two days. I, I want to say, though, I think someone told me it was less than a day. It was very quick. Here's Rich Velotas, who endorsed Joshua Butler's new book, posting an extensive statement, and here's the statement. And it, this might clue us into more than just uh, the, uh, the book. I think this gives us a window into the Christian publishing industry. In light of the recent TGC article on Joshua Butler's new book, he says, it's important that I make a statement about my endorsement of the book, my subsequent retraction of it, although because of my timing, my name will be in the first printed edition. I was invited to endorse Josh's book by a mutual friend. I agreed to the favor, but in poor judgment, reading only 25 to 30% of it. Now, I don't know if we have to read much more of this for you to have the insight that a lot of these endorsements you see on books in the Christian publishing industry, how many of them do you think the people endorsing them actually read? He only read 25 to 30% of it? Uh, why? Well, Rich Velotis, who is a, a pastor in Queens, off another author as well. Uh, he has he's quite a following here. 
60, almost 65,000 uh, Twitter followers pulled his endorsement. Well, who else did? Uh, I think it's Danae Pierre. I think that's how you pronounce the name here, Danae Pierre. Uh, she is a, let's see what it says here. I guess she's involved in a number of different Christian organizations. Uh, the Creek Collective, City to City Network, that's Tim Keller's, and then the Surge Network. So these are uh, church planning networks, I guess. Anyway, <clears throat> um, she also posted a retraction of her book endorsement for Joshua Butler. And it's very long. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, this is really, I mean, they're, they're bending over backwards. I mean, it, it's just all the reasons to pull the endorsement. Let, well, let's just read a little bit of them, maybe. Uh, okay, so here's the things that disturb her. Gender hierarchy or hierarchy. Uh, when gender hierarchy and faithfulness to Christ are blended in the same metaphor, you take the beauty of union and distort it into the power structure. Okay, so that's one of her problems. The mis misuse of metaphor. Um, now this, by the way, this is this is good because th this is what I was saying was the main issue here uh, and that, what I think should have jumped out right away. Metaphor in scripture always has limits. That's why there are so many of them to describe the indescribable from countless angles. When we take them too far, we become extra biblical. So good for her. Good for her for seeing that. Uh, gender hierarchy is still higher on this list. I don't know if that means it's higher on priority, but uh, it lacks pastoral wisdom, she says, and the metaphors are male-centered. Male-centered. So, uh, so she, she rightly understands at least one of the issues here, but look how many pages. Uh, and this is someone who endorsed it. This is someone who endorsed the book. And I, and I think it, the attempt here is to escape the judgment that comes with that endorsement. If the ship goes down, I don't want to be on it. And this, these are people who already strapped themselves to the ship, though, to some extent. I don't know how much of the book she read. Um, but this acts as a defense. So anyway, that is, and, and then she's also, I think, trying to get Tim Keller off the hook here, too, to some extent. Uh, anyway, we're not going to belabor that one. So th this is what's going on out there. Now, here's what TGC did in response a beautiful union book now if you go to the link that i showed you before this is what you're going to find now and it's uh, a post by the president of the gospel coalition julius kim and julius kim uh, says dear readers thank you for your feedback on the keller center's book excerpt from joshua butler and thank you for your patience while we took time <laughs> thank you for your patience he says patience it, it took how how long to take it down uh man I mean, that's if the patience is tested, I mean, it, you don't have patience. I mean, it took over a year to even edit and it wasn't even a good edit. The why I hate August article. But anyway, and thank you for your patience while we took the time to listen to our critics and the serious objections from concerned fellows, as well as uh, discuss the matter with our board of directors. Earlier this week, we accepted Josh's resignation as a Keller Center fellow. Wow. So this goes beyond. We, we didn't just take the article down. He resigned from the Keller Center. He's no longer uh, going to lead that uh, class that was all set up for him to lead. I mean, this is big stuff. I mean, he's canceled from TGC over this one article. That's an excerpt from his book. I mean, th this is where I'm scratching my head. I'm like, man, I've I've pointed out things before on the TGC website that are basically they're a heresy. You can't get any movement with TGC. A lot of conservatives have tried. They've tried to apply public pressure. They've tried to go be, be behind the scenes to do things. You can't hardly do anything 
But yet, within about a day, this article's taken down. And not only that, but the guy who wrote it is basically fired. He resigned. I know, he resigned. Well, whatever the cause, whether he resigned, whether he was fired, whether there was a mutual, whatever it is, he's gone. While we will no longer participate in these events, Josh remains a beloved brother. I'm sure he feels very beloved and friend whom we respect and care deeply about. Yes. Uh, to our fellows and our readers, please forgive us. The Keller Center is new, a new effort, and we are still learning how to work with our directors and our fellows to produce content that will serve our readers. I'm telling you guys, they, they have the, the resources, they have the vetting, they have the, it's, um, I guess that's the argument is that, well, it's just a new center and that's, we got new staff. Well, that happens sometimes. It does. Sometimes things are posted by mistake and uh, it's someone you hired, you shouldn't have hired. And you know, that happens. I got it. Uh, but it's, th this had to have gone through an approval process before it got on the TGC website. I'm just telling you. And it wasn't just one new hire or something like that. We'll also review our publication process more broadly at TGC and develop plans to ensure greater accountability to our readers. So now they're interested in accountability to their readers. Again, thank you for your patience with us at TGC. We want to provide a venue for healthy dialogue and robust debate on important matters that affect us all. Okay, so it's almost laughable for those who have paid attention to TGC for any length of time to take something like this seriously. You just have to ask yourself, what pressure are they bending to? What was so horrible in that article? It's obviously not the fact that the article is eisegetical because there's plenty of other eisegetical things on the TGC website. It's not the fact that uh, that that I think it's even that cringy. It's the fact this is and again I'm I'm this is my opinion here okay so it's my opinion I'm not giving you a primary source for this I'm just saying everything that we've looked at and just comparing apples to apples with other articles and other things TGC has put out there it's got to be this whole backlash because of the the sexist angle the misogynistic feminist uh, it, it's it doesn't comport to feminism that's got to be the thing that's taking this article out. i can't even understand why it would be this level of proportion what like that th this is kind of something that you never see at tgc well I looked on the website. They're not even selling the product anymore. You can't even buy the book now. So it's not only that, not only did the article get taken now, not only is Joshua Butler no longer leading a, a class through the Keller Center, you can't even buy his book now. On the, It's like he, he was never there. He's gone for that one article. And I would suggest to you that one sentence, really. I mean, it's more than that maybe, but that one sentence is really the thing where, uh, where he as assumes that Jesus penetrating the church with his word is the same as the sexual union. Okay. Uh, last but not least here, uh, we don't need more context to understand Josh Butler's article on sex and the church by Rick Pigcock at the Baptist News Global. This is from March 6, 2023. Now, progressives have a whole lot more resources, a whole lot more resources. They got more money. They have more manpower. They have more uh, people who are even equipped to do a certain level of research. And they have turned their target to some extent at the Gospel Coalition now. This is from March 6th. This is from today. Look how long this article is. Yeah, it goes on. And there's screenshots and there's all kinds of things. Now, what kinds of things are in this article? Well, 
it's an attack on TGC. I kid you not. It's an attack on TGC because they have a pattern of publishing harm and dismissing concern. So they reached back and they, they went through an 11 year time span to see what other things TGC has put out there that are politically incorrect. And they go after, it's kind of funny to me almost, uh, they, they go after um, Jared Wilson first. Jared Wilson quotes Doug Wilson. And Jared Wilson, I don't think they're related, but says the sexual act cannot be made into an egalitarian pleasuring party. A man penetrates, conquers, colonizes, plants, and woman receives, surrenders, accepts. And, and so anyways, it, it, it goes on. And that's, you know, they, they Jared Wilson is, uh, I guess, a sexist. Um, a, and I don't even know what word to use. I keep saying sexist, but I feel like I'm using an antiquated term. Is misogynistic the word that's used now? I don't know. Now, he's not egalitarian, I guess. A pattern of publishing harm and dismissing concerns. They have this pattern. Well, you know, the pattern is uh, TGC publishes content that is harmful to women and the unity of the church. So it's this is a critique from the left. Brent McCracken, he has a whole section on Brent McCracken here and how terrible Brent McCracken is. So it goes on and there's screenshots and I, I'm not interested in reading this whole thing. That's the kind of pressure that's still being applied. It's not enough is what I'm saying. It's not enough to take down the article to get rid of Joshua Butler, whether he willfully resigned or not, to get rid of his book. It's not enough. That already happened. And three days later, there's a hit piece on TGC from Baptist News Global. And who knows who else is publishing or planning to publish things on this? I don't know. But this is amazing to me. It is absolutely incredible to me that this is going on because it just shows you everything you need to know, I think, about where the priorities of TGC are, what kind of pressure they'll actually bend to. They're not bending to pressure from concerned, politically conservative believers, or even just, I think, orthodox believers who have a problem with making everything a gospel issue, mixing law and gospel categories, um, forwarding egalitarianism, um, soft, uh, softening abortion, to making it into this holistic womb to tomb thing. They, they don't respond to that stuff. Uh, the, making everything an idol, including family, can be an idol and um, I don't know. I, my list goes on and on in my head of all the things that they've done and published that we've talked about even on this podcast that uh, doesn't phase them. And the moment someone comes along and has a somewhat innovative reading of Ephesians, uh, they, they, they can't abide that. It's not egalitarian and it's, uh, it can be perceived as being against women. And uh, that's by, by modern egalitarians. And that's what I think drove them to take it down. So um, I think we're going to take a little break here. I want to, uh, there's two other issues that won't take me as long, I don't think, to discuss at all. But I'm going to take a caller. Uh, we have uh, Russ, who is in the channel right now. Russ, uh, thank you for turning your microphone off. We're going to hear what Russ has to say, whether it's about this or about something else. Hey, welcome. Hey, John. <clears throat> Thanks for having me on. Hold on. Hold on a minute. I know I'm doing this live. I forgot to put my headphones in. I'm so used to doing it solo. Can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you. Can you hear okay. me? I can. Yeah. How's it going? I am doing well. Thank you. Yeah. So what did you want to talk about today? Well, no, I was just listening to you uh, talk through that. And uh, I noticed that, uh, um, what was the gentleman's name? Joshua? Joshua Butler. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like he was on the Phil Vischer uh, podcast uh, a couple of years ago. So I was just kind of, as I was listening to you, kind of uh, watching to see what uh, 
you know, what he was saying, sharing on that. And uh, apparently he wrote about hell, judgment and holy war. So, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know much about him. I don't I haven't looked into his background where he went to school, any of that stuff. He kind of came out of nowhere, to be honest with you. I would never heard of him. Uh, he has an interesting hairstyle, if anyone. I think I mentioned on a previous podcast that he had this plant. It was it's gone now. You can't even see it. But the Keller Center in their advertisement had him announcing this class he was going to lead for the Keller Center. And he had a plant in the background and the plant looked exactly like his hairstyle. And I I don't know if that was intentional, but uh, he's kind of like unmistakable. If you see him, it's like, you know, you would remember him. And I, I can't remember ever seeing him. So this is the first time. But um, but interesting. You're already going into the background, seeing what he's about then, huh? Uh, a little bit, you know, that's, um, I, you know, to me, it's always interesting to see uh, what's been going on with somebody before they got to this point, right? Because usually there is uh, a trail of, of um, interesting items that, you know, you get to that point, and you realize, okay, uh, you know, uh, one, you know, for this example, why didn't the, the Gospel Coalition uh, recognize that there were issues well in advance before they platformed this person? Yeah, you don't just get to be the director of a class at the Keller Center. It doesn't just like happen. You, you, there's definitely hoops you're jumping through. There's relationships you're forming. Uh, you know, that's any industry, but in the evangelical industry, if you want to call it that, uh, that same thing happens. You, you have to have connections to get uh, to the point of even publishing with TGC. So, um, yeah, that was kind of my point earlier with like this article, this snippet from the book doesn't just happen this was vetted multiple times and it was put out there. And, you know, I don't want to get into people's heads too much and, and try to assume what they're thinking. I have my own suspicions about why they thought this was a good idea. Um, I mean, let's admit it. It's a little edgy. It's kind of uh, not what you would expect in your grandma's old time religion. Right. You know, so maybe it'll attract the young kids. Maybe that's what's going on. I don't know that, but um, they didn't factor in how people that are, very affected by the progressive left take that and they, absolutely yeah <laughs> they can't abide anything that isn't egalitarian and um and even just basic observations about male and female anatomy is not it's they can't uh deal with it it's so anyway but no thanks for looking into that so please send me anything uh, you find that's interesting uh maybe you can put it in the chat too uh, before the podcast's over and i'll look back over it but uh, anything else uh, you wanted to, any comments you wanted to make for us? No, I, I missed the first part of your podcast, so I just caught the uh, the end of it here. But uh, no, I like how you're doing this interactive piece here. This is really cool. So yeah, cool. Well, thanks for calling in, Russ. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, John. Yeah. Well, uh, th this is for patrons, by the way. If you're a Patri Patreon subscriber to the Conversations That Matter channel, I'm going to do a lot more of this with uh, letting people call in from that during the podcast. So it was good to hear from Russ there. Um, let's see, where, where do we want to go from here? Well, there's two stories uh, and it looks like there's, uh, if you, you can probably Google it, but Russ put in the chat here uh, where you can find Joshua Butler on the Phil Vischer podcast. So for anyone who's interested, I don't know if I want to wade through that. Uh, there's two other issues here though I want to talk about today. One is this uh, issue of, well, which one should we do first? Eh, we'll do this one first. Um, this is a Twitter thread from earlier today and, uh, Bill Roach, uh, made this Bill Roach is a personal friend of mine and, uh, he's been on this podcast before. Um, he just happens to be the one who started this threat. I, I don't know. I guess 
there was already a discussion going on. But on this thread, Bill Roach is the one who is the first post on the thread. So I'm just going to read this. And then I want to just give you some reaction because other people weigh in here. You have Nate Fisher from American Reformer, New Founding, Jenna Ellis, uh, who is Trump's, uh, one of Trump's lawyers, uh, weighs in. Um, I feel like there's some others who weigh in. I think James Lindsay gets involved eventually. And um, I'm not interested in all the personalities, but the issue to me is interesting. And so let's start here. Bill Roach says, the way some people fight wokeness is by forgetting Matthew 4 is in our Bible. They want to replace one totalitarian regime with another, typically Christian nationalism. The lust for power is real. Don't grab that ring. A ring is in, I think, the Lord of the Rings kind of ring. And then Jenna Ellis says, and gives the example of who's being talked about here, I guess. Uh, he, she, she says, I guess William, William Wolfe, has never read Federalist number 41 or understood why our founders separated and limited the powers of the government. And then Bill Roach says, I'm glad you screenshot it. William has blocked me. So it's clear who they're talking about here. James Lindsay gets in it and says, literally, the foundation, foundational premise of America is power is bad. In some regard, or at least power is dangerous, the idea of America is that nobody, even the idea of America, I have to stop myself because that's the, the, anyway, the idea of America is that nobody deserves political, worldly authority, being not God and often craven. So let's really limit who has access and what they can do. And uh, anyway, so Nate Fisher responds, says, the whole point of the Federalist Papers were to make the case for a relatively strong federal government. And, and so here's, here's the posting question. OK, so I've read you all the at least a representative amount of chatter around the post. Here's the post, though, that brought all this discussion to bear. William Wolfe said power is bad is one of the biggest lies that Christians have be, have come to believe about politics. Power is bad is one of the biggest lies that Christians have come to believe about politics, and it's totally neutralized us. That's it. That's what he said. There's a confusion going on here, I believe, and I want to point it out because I think it's important. And the reason is because I don't. you can go and read uh, in, in the book that I wrote, um, Social Justice Goes to Church. There's a whole section on Tim Keller. Tim Keller is probably one of the, the big proponents of this, but you see it in Russell Moore. You see it in others. Tim Keller makes the argument constantly that Jesus gave up power, at least regularly. He's, he's made it multiple times that Jesus gave up his power. That's Philippians uh, chapter two. Jesus came and, and he gave up all these things. And that's what a Christian should be doing. We should give up power. And he will, he, he ties in Foucault sometimes to this and uh, power dynamics and, and says that, you know, we should, uh, as, as Christians, that's what we ought to be doing. Now, I found it curious. I have, um, put it this way, I have, I've seen this show for a long time. And I've wondered whether or not there's a reason that I don't, and at least where I live, I don't see as many Protestants involved in even things like being DAs, being policemen, certainly running for public office. Um, if you look at even national talk radio, how many of the national syndicated talk radio hosts that conservatives listen to are evangelical Christians? Think about it. Sean Hannity's a Catholic. Glenn Beck is Mormon. Um, we have, there's Jewish people. There's, uh, I can't remember his name now. He's in the evening. Uh, there's, um, 
they're secular people. Where are the evangelical Christians? There aren't many. Steve Dace, I guess, but he's not, I mean, he's nationally syndicated on the blaze, but he's he's not like one of the big ones. Um Ali Bestucky, I guess, but she's not again, she's not a huge name. Uh, she's but she's she's got a show. It, there's not many. It's mostly people who are in other faith traditions or they're uh they're secular. And I've wondered for a while why what is what's going on there when when a child grows up in a church and goes to youth group and they show some spiritual maturity or leadership capabilities they're generally told and i know because i've lived this that you know you'd be good to go to seminary you should you should become a pastor there's not usually a thought about well you know maybe you'd make a really good statesman maybe you should run for office Maybe you should consider, you know, a, a military or a line of work where you can use those leadership um, abilities. Now, it's, it's generally it's a pastor that that's what's seen as, you know, fulfilling the Lord's work. And, and it certainly is. And it's important. And I'm not saying I'm not taking anything away from that. It is. But there is something wrong and it's been wrong for a long time. It predates the woke movement. There's been something wrong for a long time in that Christians find uh, evangelical Christians find politics dirty and the acquisition of power is just it, it's and it is dirty to some extent getting in politics but they just uh they, you know they'd rather not and i know when i was i'm probably belaboring this point but it's my podcast so i'm just gonna share the story uh when i was in college when i was at uh um in uh, uh community college actually I, I led a christian group there and in that christian group yeah mark levin sorry some interview interrupting myself here. Someone, Mark Levin is, is Jewish. Yeah. So anyway, um, uh, where was I? Dennis Prager too. We could go on. But when I was in college, uh, I remember that there was a math lab, they called it, where you would go to help get help with your homework. And they had students working there. And the math lab almost became a Christian hangout because so many Christians were in engineering, mathematics, science, hard sciences. And I wasn't though. I, I took physics, you know, I, and biology. I mean, but I, I didn't, um, I, I went as far as pre-calc, but I didn't really have to do hard sciences for what I was involved in. And I, I eventually got a, a history degree. I just thought it was curious in the degree program I was pursuing. I was it. There really weren't a whole lot of Christians pursuing what I was pursuing. They were pursuing more hard sciences, which is fine. We need Christians in those fields, but there is an aversion, I think. And it's just from my own observations, there is an aversion to getting involved in um, career fields where you're going to have to really take hard stands and where you're going to have to make choices that uh, cho choices that affect people, choices that will be made contingent upon power that you have or that you've been given for a position. It, it puts you in a spot where you, there's eyeballs on you. And I, I personally think that's part of the reason that there's an aversion to it. Part of it. I'm not saying all of it. All right. So back to uh, this whole thing about power. This is where I have a personal thing. And that's why I, uh, I my, what motivates me to even talk about this. Tim Keller uh, neutralizes Christians. I mean, he has said before, I played the clips on this podcast, that the religious right offended the LGBT lobby, essentially. 
that they and it was because of their pursuit of political power. And that was wrong. It was wrong to pursue political power. And the question that I have is. Who then should be pursuing power? Hierarchy is inescapable. We have it in our households. You, you have it in your churches, if you're a Christian going to church, but you have it in any every institution. Someone's got to make decisions. Isn't that what power is? Someone's making decisions somewhere that affect people. And those decisions have to be made. It's even not making a decision is a decision. So in when it comes to the government and applying laws and upholding justice, someone has to make those decisions, whether it's a monarchy or a democracy or whatever form of government it is, an oligarchy, someone's going to be in the place somewhere of making a decision. Inescapable, right? Totally inescapable. So that's a given. Power is just a given. Now, the misunderstanding here, I believe, is because those who are reading William's tweet, that's what William means, I think. Power, we, we can't say that power is bad. We can't be allergic to power as Christians. It's good when Christians are in political roles. How do you know that, John? Well, what does Proverbs 29.2 says? Here it is. It says, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, people groan. Now, there's other translations. King James says, when the righteous are in authority. You want to know what that word means? Authority or increase? Well, here's all the commentaries and exegetical commentaries included, I think, in some of this. Um, here's Benson's commentary. Uh, the Hebrew word here signifies either a number or in, um, an increase in, in number or in dignity or power. Hmm. Matthew Henry. Uh, let's see what he says. Actually, you know what would make it easier for me? Or, okay, we'll skip Matthew Henry. He doesn't talk about power. Uh, Jameson, uh, uh, man, I can't even pronounce this. Fawcett Brown. I should because I've used it before. But uh, increase in power. Uh, Matthew Poole. Uh, the Hebrew word signifies increase either in number or in dignity uh, and power. I guess there's a Hebrew parallel here. Anyway, if you go through the whole thing, it doesn't take a rocket scientist here. Uh, power is um, is being in Proverbs, the Hebrew word here translated uh, is has a connection to power. And I probably didn't even need to take you through all that. But um, but, you know, the verse itself says it's good for righteous people to be in power, to have authority. That's a good thing. We shouldn't be allergic to that. Right. I think that's what William Wolf is saying. Power is bad. No, it's not bad. It's good for when the righteous have it. It's good. It could be. It's not good when an ungodly person has it. The same in your home. If there's, if you have a good dad, and he has power over you, that's a good thing. Makes good decisions for you. Uh, if you have a dad that's abusive, that's, that could be bad for you. That that dad has power. But power is not the thing. It's, it's power is not good or bad. It's, uh, it's, it's just is. It, it the good or the bad comes from the person who exercises it. It's like guns. Guns aren't good or bad. It's the person who has the gun and, and how they use it, right? How they exercise it. Now, if you overstep your boundaries, that can become a problem. And that's where the misunderstanding comes in here, I believe. That's where Jenna Ellis is off. Jenna Ellis is thinking that William Wolfe is making an argument against Federalist 41 here, uh, that uh, we should have separated powers, limited powers of the government. And that's true. We should have separated powers and we should have limited powers. And I'd like to see federalism return. <laughs> we should be able to uh, have uh, states have more um, authority. In fact, I think states should be able this is where people might think I'm radical, but I don't think anymore. I think a lot of people are coming around to my opinion on this. Uh, and I think this was the founder's opinion. States should have the ability to nullify unconstitutional federal laws. 
they should have the ability to, if uh, the contract has been violated, secede. I mean, that is what the ratification agreements for both New York and Virginia said at the time of the ratifying the Constitution. I don't, I, I don't see any reason that that is unconstitutional. In fact, it's uh, it's with part of the American tradition. That's what we did with Great Britain. So I'm uh, of anyone out there, I'm sure I could probably run to the right of Jenna Ellis on this to say I'm way for decentralized government and self-government way for that really like to the, I really want that to return to that if, if that were possible. But I agree fully with what William Wolf is saying here. And I figured I would take you on a little trip down history lane. Uh, some people like that. Some people don't, but let's just see, this is the 1639 fundamental orders of Connecticut. One of the documents that is a forerunner to our constitution, but one of the first, um, you know, governmental important documents in our country's history. And you, you will notice that powers use quite a bit in this document. Powers used quite a bit. Um, things like this. It is ordered, sentenced, and decreed that Windsor, Hartford, and Wethersfield shall have power to send, uh, let's see, their freemen as deputies. To, I can't read all this because it's old English. But anyway, it's giving power, or it's, it's saying that they're arranging power in such a way that these governmental magistrates have uh, authority to exercise their office. It is ordered and decreed that the deputies thus chosen shall have power and liberty to appoint a time and a place of meeting. There's different different functions here. I mean, you go through this at, at your job every time there's a committee meeting or something. How about the United States Constitution? Look up the word power. Oh, it occurs 40 times. All the legislative powers herein shall be vested in the Congress of the United States. Uh, the speaker, speakers and officers shall have the sole power. The Senate shall have the sole power. It looks like a lot of power being given out the different branches of the government here. And sure enough, it is. But the power is separated. It's delegated. Uh, it is uh, There's power reserved to the states that the federal government or the national general government isn't allowed to trample on. So that's the United States Constitution. What about the Federalist Papers? Um, now, we'll get to Federalist uh, number 41, which is what the one Jenna Ellis is citing. But if you go to Federalist numbers 31 through 40, these are the ones that predate it or, pre, uh, or come before it. Let's just see how much power comes up. Oh, power comes up quite a bit. In fact, Federalist 31, this uh, concerning the general power of taxation by Alexander Hamilton. And if you know anything about Alexander Hamilton, he was a great concentrator of power. He believed in a strong uh, national bank system of finance. Uh, they called it the American system. Eventually, Henry Clay picked up the mantle and, and eventually Abraham Lincoln picked up Henry Clay's mantle. They were the centralizers. Uh, they were the Hamiltonians, uh, as opposed to what I would be more in, in thinking with is the Jeffersonians, who uh, the Jeffersonians were very skeptical of concentrated power. But they still believe that there was power out there. It's just uh, how centralized was it is the question. But anyway, lot, lots of uh, power here. Let's see. Federalist number 32 uh, concerning the general power of taxation. So another uh, paper on that. Um, same with Federalist 33. Same with Federalist 34, and you can see power is all throughout all of these. Now, let's go to Federalist number 41, the one that General Ellis is talking about, and let's look up power. Curse 40 times. Now, what's it talking about, though? It relates to the sum or quantity of power which it vests in the government, including the restraint imposed on the states. Second, to the particular structure of the government and the distribution of this power among its several branches. Well, there you go. It's all about how the power is going to be distributed. That's it. Not against power. In fact, it's for power. It's just that the power shouldn't be concentrated. 
in a context, what was immediately what what, what happened? What, why were the Federalist Papers written? We should probably I should probably mention that. Why were they written? Well, they were written because the Articles of Confederation weren't working, and it was they were too weak. Essentially, you couldn't have cooperation. Uh, before that, of course, you had a king. And that was a great central, well, it was really parliament that had centralized authority. And that was uh, overthrown by the committees of correspondence in the United States, what, what is now the United States. And then they, they valued separating power. So they created uh, what amounted to a weak uh, centralized authority under the Articles of Confederation, but it was too weak. And so that's why we have a constitution to make it a little stronger. And you had the anti-federalists. And the Federalists and the Federalists were supporting the Constitution and they were trying to allay the fears of people, people like Patrick Henry, that this wasn't going to be totalitarian, that this was this was going to work out. It's one of the reasons we have a Bill of Rights to, to make sure the government can't go and, and trample on those rights. The, the central government, not not the states, but the it, unless you believe in uh, incorporation, which I, that, that they wouldn't have believed that at the time. This was about the the national or the general government. And the limitations it had. So they were supporting the Constitution. The Anti-Federalists said, no, this is too strong. This is going to be, uh, people are going to read into it. They're going to use it for their own nefarious purposes. So to bring up the Federalist Papers and to say, you know, the Fe Federalist Papers, uh, Federalist 41, you know, it's, it's just against power or something. No, the Federalist Papers, as Nate Fisher rightly said, they were arguing for more power for the general government. You would want to appeal to the probably the anti-federalist papers if you're saying if you're if you're skeptical of power, and and both by the way are part of the American tradition. They they both are. It's not like the uh, anti-federalists were any less American or their political theories weren't important. They were. So anyway, I think people should read both, not just the federalist papers. Um, there's a fundamental misunderstanding, and I don't pretend to know exactly why there's this fundamental misunderstanding, but it is. It's very basic to me. It's it power is not a bad thing. When someone who is a Christian is in office and exercising power, the righteous rejoice. And I think if you're in the audience and you're thinking about running for office, what's stopping you? Why not? I mean, what what what's the worst that could happen? You lose? Okay, you lose. Go on to do something else. But if you run for public office, if you get into a position where you have political power, you can make good decisions. You can help people. And that should be the motivation. Power is not a bad thing. In fact, Keller's example of Jesus giving up his power because of the incarnation uh, fails to also realize that Jesus is the one who's coming back with a double-edged sword, sitting right now at the right hand of the Father motivated for the joy set before him as he endured the cross. It's the liberation theologian who wants to leave Jesus up there on the cross, suffering at the hands of a tyrannical regime uh, to set an example for us, uh, maybe to anger us and to motivate us to stand against injustice, oppression, etc. But the Jesus of scripture is the Jesus who rose from the grave and isn't allergic to power. All power, it says, has been granted to him in heaven and on earth. That's why we preach the gospel to every nation. We make disciples of the nations. What, what do you do when you enter a nation and the ruler is converted and says, I'm a Christian, I'm in charge of this nation, what do I do? We say, well, you got to resign. 
you know, power, you know, what do you tell the moms for liberty? You know, stop exercising power. What do you tell people, governors who are doing good things? What do you tell Ron DeSantis? It's no, you wouldn't. And I don't think anyone in, in that thread would. Um, I think it's silly, but I want to take this opportunity to just remind everyone that power is not a bad thing. And I think more Christians getting involved in influential fields would be better. Speaking of liberation theology, speaking of liberation theology, we have one more thing to talk about today. The White Horse Inn, Michael Horton uh, of the White Horse Inn has this to say. You know, we can learn so much from each other. I can't believe how much I've learned over 30 years. It's been very exciting to have Bob Hiller representing the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, Justin Holcomb, who is representing the Anglican tradition. We are so excited about Walter Strickland. Professor Strickland teaches systematic theology at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We are thrilled to have him. He's written uh, so many books on a wide variety of topics. I'm sure that as you listen to these new programs with him regularly on them, you're going to be as excited as we've been to record them. All right. Well, I don't know if I have to say much there. Walter Strickland is now at the White Horse Inn. So for those who uh, don't know, the White Horse Inn, uh, can't, people are saying they can't hear it. Uh, sorry about that. Well, let me explain it to you if you couldn't hear it. I, I tried to play it in a way that you could hear. I haven't worked out all the kinks on this. Uh, that was Michael Horton announcing that Walter Strickland is now at the White Horse Inn. And the White Horse Inn, uh, I used to listen to it actually occasionally because it was on a local radio station, Redeemer Broadcasting, 105.3 in uh, Poughkeepsie, New York, uh, was where I used to listen. And uh, on my, coming home from work is usually when it was on, so sometimes I'd turn it on and listen. And sometimes I had some really uh, good, good takes. And um, other times, not so much, but it wasn't, I wouldn't have said it was heretical. I wouldn't have said it was dangerous. I'm glad that Redeemer Broadcasting does not carry it anymore. I did an episode a while ago, a year ago or so, on Michael Horton and the White Horse Inn, and I just uh, showed, well, I played an episode for you where they were advocating for some of uh, the CRT adjacent ideas. And it was startling, really. I just thought that, wow, I mean, they really went far. It even talked about in that podcast, one of the co-hosts that he had mentioned uh, in the video I just played, uh, I forget which one, but he had talked about how the church was so unloving and unaccepting of LGBT people. And it was the kind of stuff I was used to hearing in much more progressive circles. It was the kind of stuff you'd hear from the Holy Post. You, you thought you were listening to like a Phil Vischer episode or something, and you weren't. It was uh, it was the White Horse Inn. Well, this confirms everything for me because there was a question. There were some supporters of the White Horse Inn who reached out and, you know, maybe this is a one-off and they were still hopeful. I don't see any hope at this point if they have Walter Strickland now as a co-host. Walter Strickland is unrepentant. Now, he may be a nice guy. I've done more than enough information on Walter Strickland. You can go check out the other videos that I've put out there on Walter Strickland. But he's he advances ideas consistent with liberation theology. And he admits that he does. He admitted it to the New York Times. Uh, he is uh, he, he has gotten the gospel wrong on more than one occasion, conflating it with the law in a way you would expect from a liberation theologian. 
that's false teaching. He has um, imported James Dietrich Roberts or, or uh, J. Dietrich Roberts, James Cone, um, Gutierrez. He, he's imported these guys into Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in positive ways. And that's that's what White Horse Inn now is interested in, I suppose. Now, I'm not sure, you know, they're not going to only talk about that, but that's who they have there. They, there's no theological discernment left if they think that that's an, an acceptable choice. Uh, and and certainly they have no problems bending to the woke crowd, uh, which we've now learned TGC doesn't seem to have any problem bending to the, the crowd to their left either. Um, but man, they sure won't, uh, they sure won't listen to those who are trying to use a very biblical standard, uh, a, a very, uh, you know, they're called fundamentalists. They're, they're too, they're wacko conservatives. They're way out there on the fringes. They're deplorables really. And, um, anyway, it's just a sad state of affairs. So I figured I'd, I'd let you know about that. And, uh, Hey, if anything, we need people, Christians who aren't afraid of exercising a little power right now. And, starting new ministries, or if they're in these ministries, you know, don't stay silent or sorry, don't, uh, yeah, don't, don't keep staying silent, speak up and say something or, you know, get involved that you work yourself into a position where you can have some influence, uh, if that's what you want. But, but power is, is probably more of what Christians need right now, not less, uh, judging from even our Christian institutions bending to the spirit of the age. Well, let's go back through some of these comments, and I, I want to answer whatever questions are out there. Uh, I think I've gone now for over an hour, so um, let's see. Uh, yeah, someone pointed out that James Lindsay and William Wolfe were going back and forth, and uh, yeah, I, I saw some of that. I didn't see all of it um, over power and stuff. But I, so I saw enough of it though, to know kind of what the gist was and what the misunderstanding was. Um, <laughs> that's true. This is true. Someone says, John Carter, power is bad is the attitude that causes men to lose their wives and children. That, that can, there are circumstances like that where I've seen this more often than not, where a man abdicates his responsibilities, doesn't, is afraid of being too aggressive. And so he's going to give power to the wife and to the kids and let them make decisions he should be making. And yeah, it ruins the family. And I'm not saying you can't have overbearing husbands because they exist for sure. But if generally speaking, uh, nationwide, we have a way bigger problem with men advocating their responsibilities, I'd say, uh, in the, in Christian circles, at least a lot of feckless men out there. Um, let's, uh, oh, someone asked a question here. What are CRT adjacent ideas? Okay, so let me explain this. Sometimes I use careful language uh, because if the nerds out there, if you say someone's uh, CRT or if someone believes CRT, you know, critical race theory, uh, they'll just pounce on it and they'll say like, you know, the whatever, the eight elements of critical race theory, have they endorsed every single element? And you're like, this is weird. This is ridiculous. And they believe in white privilege. They want some kind of a redistribution scheme. Like what more do you need? But 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 because that exists out there and the, the nerds who unfortunately know theory, but they seem to lack understandings of other things like history uh, are out there ready to pounce. I've gotten into a habit, I think, of just saying things like CRT adjacent. So that way I can say, well, they 
these they have some ideas that are consistent with critical race theory that they advocate um it's just a wording but yeah the CR soft on crt promoting aspects of crt so um all right well that's a i think pretty much it uh i pre <laughs> okay david i'm gonna get you in there you're the last comment david morrill from protestia said tgc is terrible read protestia instead so i'm giving you the little signal boost here david there you go <laughs> um so yeah that's the show for today i appreciate everyone weighing in please don't forget that if you live in the area if you are in uh new york or if you're in a bordering state connecticut if you're in uh, massachusetts or pennsylvania you may want to come out because it's going to be fun we're going to have a good time on the masculine Christ at the masculine christianity game dinner with zach garris he's coming out from new mexico so it's not like you're going to have a chance to see him or uh, be with other like-minded men and it is for men this is a men's event we're gonna i mean we're gonna eat meat together what more could you want uh, but that is March 24th at 6.30 p.m. at Grace Bible Church. I will be there. Uh, would love to see you there uh, as well. Uh, God bless. More coming later this week. Bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.